evening, San Marcos, and welcome to the debut episode of Real Estate 101. I am your host, Selene Henderson, Realtor, Corporal Banker, Deanne Harper Realtors, and I am your San Marcos rock star realtor broadcasting here on KZSM in the beautiful uh, San Marcos downtown square. 
Um, so what this show is is geared for are those interested in purchasing their first home or becoming homeowners in the future. And um, what I'm going to do is um, give different info every week that would be helpful um, when you're getting ready to, to purchase your first home. So today I have um, one of my preferred lenders on with us. Chris, can you hear us? I can. Good All evening. right, this is Chris Kerr with Legacy Mutual Mortgage. Um, he's going to talk to you today about the steps of getting a mortgage, some common hurdles to clear, and anything else that he feels that we should know about. So, Chris, um, t tell us some of the, the products that you have to offer first-time homebuyers. So, for we've got several products when it comes to purchasing a home, and then we've got some specific for first-time homebuyers as well. So, uh, most people are familiar with conventional loans, uh, FHA, which is a government loan, USDA, and then VA loans that are for veterans. But in addition to that, we do have first-time homebuyer programs that allow us to get um, bonds. Uh, so it is, it is money given to an individual as a first-time homebuyer to help them with their down payment wow. portion of their cash to close. So it helps offset uh, up to all of the down payment that they have to bring to the table as far as their minimum down payment. That's excellent. What um, is that usually 3%, 3.5% down? So the, the amount that we can get depends upon the program. We have several different uh, down payment assistance programs, uh, and, but most of them range anywhere from 3% of the loan amount in assistance up to 5%. And so it just depends on which program we look at, what fits the borrower the best in their situation because they each have different rules as far as debt to income ratios, as far as household income limits to qualify for those programs. Excellent. So, um, you know, d d down payment is one of the biggest hurdles that home buyers have coming up with that money um, for the, the purchase of their home. But uh, another cost is closing costs. So, um, is this program that allows you to borrow, in essence, your down payment, um, can you still ask for closing costs from the builder or from the seller, or um, is that something that you've got to come up with yourself? Uh, you bet. So there's four pieces. I always talk about what's called cash to close, and so that, that consists of four pieces in the normal mortgage process. So the down payment, the closing cost, the escrow, which is typically three months of taxes and three months of insurance, and then the first year of insurance those are the four things that are paid at closing in a normal cash to close situation and so even so in a fha loan the minimum down payment is three and a half percent so say we get four percent of assistance through the down payment assistance program that half a percent wow. extra that goes over the three and a half does go towards costs and then you bet, depending upon the program, there's different limits or amounts that, that the realtor, that Selena can help you negotiate with the seller to help offset those costs as well. So where essentially, you know, you could come to the table with very, very little money out of pocket uh, and be able to buy your first home. Do you find that that's a common misconception that people have is, is the money that they need to purchase? 
You bet. I hear all the time when I visit with clients that they they just can't buy a home yet because they don't have 20% down. Right. And, in, and years ago, that was the minimum for a conventional loan, which is traditionally looked at as a bank product, right, is what people associate that with. Right. And at one point, that's what you had to have was 20% down. But today, we've got loan options for first-time home buyers as low as 3% on a conventional or 3.5% on an FHA loan. And if they've purchased a home before and they qualify for a conventional, that's 5% down minimum. So the 20% where a lot of people get you know upset mm-hmm. or, or concerned that they don't have that much money available to put down, we can actually do it with as low as 5% through a conventional loan or 3.5% on an FHA loan. Wow. And see, that's that's something that I run into a lot, too, is um, just so many people don't think that they can buy a home. There's, you know, they, they think that, um, that they've had to have saved 20% plus closing cost, and, you know, their, their credit score has to be like 750. And, you know, I tell people all the time, and that's one of the reasons why I wanted to start this show is... Um, Home ownership is not as hard as you think it is. And if you can afford to rent in this city, I mean, with what landlords require you to have as far as credit and income ratio and all that, then you can afford to buy a home if you wish. Um, I don't know if you're familiar with rents, rents, rental rates in San Marcos, but um, yeah, 1650 might get you a three-bedroom. So, I mean, if you're paying that a month, why, why are you renting? <laughs> yeah, you're exactly you know? right. And I am familiar with, with renting in a college town. For yeah, sure, so. yeah. So that's, you know, why I wanted you to be the first one on and um, kind of explain how easy it can be. So um, I know you mentioned USDA and VA as well, and those are both zero down payments. So why don't you tell us a little bit? Well, every I think everyone knows VAs for vets. Um, but USDA, that's something that a lot of people haven't heard of. And we've got a lot of properties around here, actually, maybe not in the city proper, but um, just outside that qualify for USDA. So what can you tell us about that, Chris? Yeah, so USDA is, you know, while it is a rural program in its roots, it does encompass once you get outside the city, there are many areas that qualify for USDA financing. Right. So you've got two different pieces there. You've got the property has to qualify for USDA first, which means it's in an area that qualifies. And you may have one side of the street, Selena, that qualifies and the other side of the street that doesn't qualify because that's where the line was drawn. So once we get past the first part of does the property qualify, then we obviously have to look at the borrower because there are very specific rules when it comes to income limits, the amount of assets that an individual has. Um, so there are, there are pieces that we then have to look at from the borrower to make sure we can qualify that side as well as the home. But it is definitely an option for somebody who doesn't want to live in the city, especially as we're seeing people move out into uh, the outer areas of town. Uh, it definitely can be an option for somebody to help them get into a home 
with less money out of pocket for sure, with no down payment. So you mentioned income limits. So this this is a product specifically for lower and median income borrowers, correct? It is. That is correct. So the different programs, because we talked about the first-time buyer down payment assistance programs, that income, and I believe on USDA it's about the same, it's around uh, $92,000 for the household, um, but that is county dependent. So each right. county has their own set of income, and Hayes typically follows um, more of the Austin limits. So that 92, that may be so that's a pretty high limit. Yeah. yeah, well, it's, it's going to be just over 100 uh, in Hayes County and in Austin, Travis County. So uh, it does depend on the county, um, but you bet. I mean, still, but remember, we're looking at a household. So it is not only the um, it's everybody that's working in the house. So, um, but that, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's still a pretty good income limit to qualify where you're not putting any money down. Yeah. So, um, yeah, those are two great products for, for anyone, um, within certain incomes, as Chris said, um, who are looking to buy their first home. And, and it's specifically to help out people who don't have a lot of cash on hand. Um, trying to think, <laughs> I should have written down some, some more questions because, um, it's no, my first no time and why it's showing. We, I mean, <laughs> no, you're good. So why don't we touch on credit? Let's because do that. that is the, there, there's four big areas that we look at from a mortgage standpoint, credit, income, assets, and property. And I've already mentioned all four, but, but let's break down some of what that looks like because quite often people say, well, my credit's not over 700, so I can't buy a home. Well, the, the great news tonight is we can actually go down to a 620 credit score and have the potential wow. to purchase. Um, and that's both conventional and FHA or VA loan. So, wow. or USDA for that as a government loan. And so um, it actually goes much lower than what a lot of people think. And so we look at, you know, every day I'm, I'm looking at credit because obviously that's the first part of what we pull. And so if somebody's just below that limit, we have tools. Now, I'm not a credit repair specialist, but I have tools that will help me show if you, if you do X, we can get that score above that 620 mark. And so many times we help people down and put them on the path, um, whether it's short term or long term to get that credit moving in the right direction. And so there's several things, you know, not being late on payments is obviously a big one. Um, having revolving debt, which are credit cards that's less than 30% of their total credit limit. That's important because if you get over 30%, it starts negatively affecting your credit score. And then obviously staying away from collections, um, charge offs, those type things. But, you know, if you've got a credit card and you pay it off, that, that it, hurt, it actually hurts your credit if you cancel it versus just letting it sit in the drawer with no balance on it is actually better than canceling the card and letting it go away because you lose that history of the card. Yeah, that's something I found out the hard way once. <laughs> we, we thought that having no debt was a good thing. We paid off all the debt. We went to buy a house and the mortgage guy said, you need a credit card. So we got a credit card and there we go. But yeah, that's 
that's I'm so glad you brought that up because I mean most people think no debt is good right but you've got to have well, some sort of credit established to show that you can handle having debt and paying for it right and that's right and that's the way we should live is with no debt right, right. I mean ideally if we could pay cash but I mean for unfortunately that's not where we are in the world today and so the, the and you're exactly right if you pay everything off then you still need to use that credit card a little bit every month and then let the bill come due and then you pay it off every month and you do that month in and month out and it's amazing how the credit score increases because the bureau says hey they've got credit they're using it responsible they're paying it off they've got credit they're using it responsible they're paying it off and so that increases the credit score over time um, and so you you're essentially playing the game but if you're going to need to borrow money for a home, then that's important to have. Now, saying that, if somebody has no credit scores, we still have opportunity through a conventional program to help those individuals as well. But there really? are different underwriting requirements. Um, it's, a, it's 10% down instead of five. So there are some differences there. But if somebody's been on a cash basis and has no credit score, we've still got opportunity to help them as well. That's that's amazing. I really didn't know that. So I just learned something new. Um, it's time for a break now. Well, we're going to take a break real quick, station break, and we'll be right back with Chris Kerr from Legacy Mutual Mortgage. You're listening to KZSM.org, True Community Radio. All right. So we're back. Um, so, Chris, back, back to credit. Um, how... When somebody calls you and, you know, they have a couple of things to work on, about what is the average amount of time um, when somebody calls and they just have a couple things, say they, they don't have a credit card or they've got a couple things in collection, does it usually take very long to take care of those things or is that something that can get done in a matter of a couple of months, six months? Uh, for sure, it could get done in a, in a matter of months. Um, there's times that it is paying off one credit card or paying one credit card down and we can get the score we do what's called a rescore on the credit and we actually send that information to the credit bureau and have that score updated immediately wow. to a point above that 620 but it could be somebody that hasn't used credit for years right they've got some old bad or they just don't have any credit then you're looking at between four months minimum and okay. obviously the further away you get from that the better because um, it allows the credit bureau to build history of doing the month over month of using the card every month a little bit and i'm not talking about maxing the card out every month i'm talking thirty dollars a month go get some gas then when the bills do you pay it off and so essentially you could you could move somebody depending upon where they're starting in as little right. as four months so or shorter depending like i said it depends on every situation is different yeah but i i don't i don't think getting the loan is is quite as scary as a lot of people think it is you know it's something if you don't a lot of people they they don't want to talk about their income you know they they don't um you call, they expect to call up here, okay, I don't qualify, and then click. But that's that's not what you do. If, you know, you can look over their stuff, and if you don't know it, then you can't tell them what to fix. So, um, yeah, that's exactly right. It's, you and, know, and I, I tell so many people, you, you've got to call because you might be working on 
the completely wrong thing if you haven't talked to a mortgage specialist. And that's exactly right because the rules are very specific that we have to follow and they're different from product type. A conventional rule is going to be a little different in some situations than the FHA rules than the VA rules. And so, yeah, I, and my job is to help you get to whatever your end goal is. And if that's buying a house, then that's my obligation to you. And I'm honored to be able to do that. And so, you know, quite often when we look at incomes or because, you know, sometimes people will work a full-time job and a part-time job. Well, there's very specific rules on they've got to have worked both those jobs in unison for two years in order to use both incomes, right? And so there's things that that we help educate through this process because it is a process yeah. and it's a it's a big process. Most people don't buy multiple homes in their life. They yeah. may buy two, three, four homes in their life, right? And so it's our job to make sure and walk them through and make that as easy as possible in a what seems to be scary, you know, a scary process. But um, we just walk through one step at a time until we get to the closing table. Right. That's that's exactly what we do. I mean, where where your job as a as a mortgage broker and my job as a realtor is to to basically hold your hand <laughs> all the way through if we need to. Um, I've done that before with so many different home buyers. You know. You, you've never done it before you don't know what's expected you don't know what the timeline is and it moves very quickly um the first couple of weeks you pretty much in contact with your mortgage guy and your realtor just about every day so um i i know chris is great with that he's helped out some people that i've sent him so um um what else do, you, do what other tips or words of advice do you have to offer chris well, you, let's talk about assets because, you know, that is the piece we talk assets, about down payment. Yeah. We talked about down payment assistance, but quite often I have people that I visit with and they're like, yeah, I've got the cash in the safe. And I'm like, well, just send me a bank statement. They're like, no, it's literally in the safe. So here's, here's the rule on assets is that or money that we're going to use for cash to close is that that money has to be seasoned where we can show where it comes from. And so the, the government, Fannie and Freddie, who, are, who service the majority and purchase most of the loans, they, don't, they can't track where cash comes from. And so they want to be able to see on two bank statements that you've had a balance that covers whatever you're going to need for closing uh, and that it's seasoned. You're not having large deposits that we have to see where did that money come from. Did you borrow the money? Did we sell something that we can't prove? So there's lots of pieces that we walk through in those in those bank statements. But another way that works, and quite often uh, we have young buyers who come in and mom and dad yeah. want to help with a gift, right? They're graduating from yeah. college or buying their first home and they want to help with a gift. Well, that is absolutely um, available and allowed to where we can get a gift and show that gift from a family member so there's some rules there but it has to be somebody that has a, a vested interest in the individual and we can use those gifts to offset and to use towards the down payment closing cost escrow and first year of insurance so there's many ways to do this beyond just the down payment assistance programs now if you are getting um a big lump of cash from a parent um for, for your closing costs and down payments there are there there's limits right still to how much they can give or has that changed there's not a limit on how there's much not. they can get um but there are rules and how we 
and what we have to prove where they're getting, you know, that the money's going to transfer from the donor. We transfer it directly to title. Um, and so, but we have to get some documentation from the donor that shows they had the money to give. Uh, but there's not a limit on the amount of that gift like there is seller concessions, um, which, you know, seller concessions are money that is from the sale, from the seller to go towards those costs. There are limits depending upon the program type and how much they can get. Gotcha. All right. Well, um, something um, that I've been talking about a lot lately. Um, and do you do you happen to do refis? Oh, of course. We've All been, right. Uh, lots of refis <laughs> this year with the market. So, can you so. tell everyone what the interest rates are right now? Because I mean, this is just blowing my mind. Yeah. So, interest rates are are uh, they vary on a daily basis, uh, and they follow. I will say the market, but they actually follow a ten-year Treasury bond. Um, but interest rates right now, I mean, I'm locking individuals in sub 3% uh, with good credit um, on their loans, and that's both conventional and government loans. And so, I mean, we, we haven't ever seen interest rates I've sub never 3%, seen that before. <laughs> you know, ever. And if you've bought homes for very long, you remember when homes were in double digits, uh, interest rates. And so... Um, yeah. I mean, they're just phenomenal yeah. right now where they are for sure. And what that does, I mean, what people don't realize yeah. is that interest rate, I mean, people can effectively purchase more home for the same monthly payment. A year ago, we were 4%. And so if you look at 3% today, essentially you can buy more home for the same monthly payment today than what you could a year ago. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's so. just really mind-blowing. <laughs> think how, how low the rates yeah, are. No, I've just it, never it, seen it anything. It's is. Yes, if you yeah. haven't refinanced in a year, give Chris a call. Chris, can you tell everyone a, a good number to call to talk to you? You bet. So my direct number is 210-416-0796. And, I mean, I'm happy to tell you a little bit about Legacy and, and where my offices are um, as well. Yeah, sure. Tell so us where we can find you. Is, yeah. You bet. So Legacy is a San Antonio-based mortgage banker. Our offices are in San Antonio. So we're a local Texas company uh, right here, born and bred. So we do originate loans in all of Texas and 19 other states. So if you're moving into the state, we can help you. If you're moving out, there's a good chance we can help you there as well. Um, But obviously, we originate in all those areas. Uh, As Selena asked, we do purchases, which we started talking about. We do refinances. I also specialize in new construction. So somebody that wants to buy land to build a house, um, we can help there also. And then our uh, all our employees are local, whether it be San Antonio or Austin or in between. My personal offices, I've got an office in New Braunfels and I've got an office in San Antonio. So I come up to San Marcos every week and, uh, and in the area and, don't, and my office obviously isn't far from the area. So... Um, so I can be found in multiple ways, but that phone number is obviously the easiest and fastest way. So going, going back to, to interest rates. So, um, like I said, about, about the average cost of a rental in San Marcos is start around 1450. I'd say most of them are in the 1600s. So let's just assume you're paying 1650 a month for rent. Just kind of 
you know, just for the area, not specifically to San Marcos, because I know our tax rate is a little higher than a lot of um, Central Texas. Uh, like, what kind of mortgage are you looking at? Like, how much, if you're used to paying that and you've got the cash or you've got a gift coming or you qualify for one of these programs, what can you get with what you've been paying in rent a month? Yeah, so, I mean, there's four items that go into the payment. There's the principal, the interest, taxes, which you yeah. mentioned, and then your insurance for your home. So on a 16, and it does depend, the taxes are the big variable, yeah. as you mentioned, in the area. But <laughs> those are I mean, a lot on a 16, fit, yeah, they are higher in San Marcos. That's true. So, um, but not as high as you get up into Austin. So that's you're, true. you're much better than going a little further north. So, um, but I mean, essentially, you're talking 200 to $215,000 purchase on that $1,650 a month payment. So there, there are new homes being built now under that price point, which is what I keep trying to tell people. You can, you're paying sixteen fifty a month for rent. You can go buy a brand new three bedroom home in San Marcos. Yeah, and then you're putting money into your own home. <laughs> exactly. Then you're building, you're building your own equity. Yes, yes. I, I very much feel that home ownership is the key to the the biggest key to financial stability. Like once you have that. And you've had it for a few years. You've, you've got a safety net, in essence. You've had a forced savings account that you've paid into every month. And, I mean, I know I've had life circumstances where I've had to cash that out. And it was there, and I was grateful for it. So well, um, that's, what I was and that, say. that's why I wanted to do what I do. Um, I wanted to help guide people into home ownership. Why do you do what you do? <laughs> Well, we're well, we're in the people business, right? Yeah. I mean, we and this in your job and mine is to take care of people. And yeah. I mean, I've bought many homes over my 21 years of marriage and built a couple too. So uh, it's a it's a process, and so I love helping people. You know, everybody has their own puzzle, right? Everybody has their own puzzle pieces. And my, you know, the challenge for me and the part I love about the challenge is how do I take all those puzzle pieces and put them together to make a picture to help people find a home where they want to live and, you know, yeah. potentially raise a family. Uh, and that it's just super rewarding because it's typically the biggest investment an individual make in their life. Yeah. And so how, how honored can we be to be able to help somebody in that situation to, to help them through that process? Yeah. Yeah. I, I mean, I think that's why most of us in the business are, are in it to help people. Um, you know, we're, we're not making a fortune. <laughs> you know, we, we are by no means wealthy. We're, we're just normal people trying to help other people into that, that situation of, of owning a home, of having that investment, that, that stability, that safety net, that, you know, uh, just owning a home is, is going to give you, you know. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And it is rewarding to, to see people that we help who didn't think they could buy. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, 45, 60 days later, after they found a home and we go through the process, they're in that home. And it's yeah. just so rewarding to, to see. Yeah, it, it goes that quickly. <laughs> that's, that's, <laughs> it's, it's, it's really scary at first, you know. I'm, I know I'm pretty good at, at literally literally holding hands through it like yeah we got this just don't freak out just send the document it's okay i know you sent it already just send it again (laughs) 
it's going to be fine. Yeah, we, um, we try to stay out of that and send us the document again. We, we, our goal is to get it the first time, but there, you know, if you go through the mortgage process, there's three different times in the process that we are going to look for some documents um, up front. So, I mean, it's a good time to talk about pre-qualification or pre-approval, Selena. Oh, so, my God. I'm um, so glad you brought that up. <laughs> yeah, so pre-qualification, both, both of them require me to pull credit, to talk to you about your income, your assets, what your budget is, what your puzzle pieces look like, right? The right. difference, and then I take that information, and I pull credit, we look at what's called debt to income ratio, and that is for payments that would show up on the credit report in relation to the gross income that you earn, whether it's salary, hourly, um, commission, self-employed, all those come with their own set of requirements. And we look at all that and we come up with that picture. And so that way you as a borrower and buyer know what your buying power is. That's the important part of doing the prequal before you start looking is you know what your buying power is before you start hitting the street. And so then you can go target that price point. Now I mentioned the pre-approval. The only difference in pre-approval and prequal is pre-approval means I've got documentation to support the numbers that you gave me in the pre-qualification, pay stubs, bank statements, W-2s. Um, so those are the big items. So that's the difference between pre-approval and pre-qualification. And that is, that is the first thing. Actually, the first thing you do is call a realtor. The second thing you do is get your pre-approval. I can't even really show you houses without that. I've got to have some documentation that you can actually afford to buy what it is you're wanting to see. Gosh, so what else, Chris, do you feel like we should discuss? Well, I mean, lots, many times I get questions on the timeline. You know, how long is the pre-approval or pre-qualification good for? And so essentially from the day I pull credit, we need to close on a home within 120 days or we have to pull credit again. That's really the biggest piece is that the credit report is good for 120 days. And so most people, you know, when I talk to them, they're either ready to go in 30 to 60 or they're, hey, I'm 12 months out and I don't really know the process and I don't know where I am and can you help me make sure when I'm, you know, when the time comes that I want to buy that I'm in a position to be able to do so. And so that's... Um, that's the timeline on, you know, on pre-qualification and how long it lasts. Okay. Gosh, I just, I had a question and I just forgot it. I don't know where it went. I'm not having a, gosh, I got, I cannot, oh, 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 yes. I, I know what I was going to mention. Um, so something um, neither one of us have brought up, but is, is very important is once you do pull that credit, you can't go apply for any other loans. You can't go buy a car, don't go buy your furniture, don't go buy a boat, don't go on a vacation, anything else here, Chris? <laughs> Pretty much yeah, don't, exactly don't right. touch your credit. Um, once Chris here has proved it, uh, pulled it and given you that pre-approval, anything you do it is gonna, it could sink your ship there. <laughs> don't well, show up to closing in a new car. 
you won't close. <laughs> it's, it will not happen. That, that's exactly right. That's exactly right. We don't want to see because what that affects a lot of the time is that debt to income ratio. Yeah. Right? They don't have a payment today. They go buy a new car. Now it's a $600 a month car payment. And <laughs> now the ratios don't work anymore. Right. And whether and there's lots of reasons that might happen, but you're exactly right. We want to be business as usual. After we pull credit, just like we were before credit pull. And then once you get through the house and we close the next day, if you need to replace your car, you are free to do so. <laughs> and I, I just thought of the question that I forgot to ask. Um, debt to income ratio. What are the like what percentage of debt to income is the ratio? I know it depends on loan type. So, you know, if you maybe want to go through the four that you mentioned for first-time home buyers, what the debt-to-income debt to ratio is there? Yeah, and it is variable by product. And then there is a little variance based upon credit score because uh, we go through an automated underwriter on the front end before I issue that pre-qual or pre-approval. And so um, there's some variance there as well. But overall, if we look at conventional, for me, that maxes out at a 50% debt to income ratio. And that includes the monthly payments of credit cards, installment loans, vehicle payments, RV payments, boat payments, motorcycles, any of the stuff that is on an installment plan or credit card, in addition to the new house payment. So all that comes together. We look at the monthly compared to the gross income, 50% or less. That is our, that's the normal limit there on conventional. When we start looking at FHA and VA, those are 55%. So it's a little higher on the government loans. Wow. And then USDA is 43. So it's got tighter debt to income ratios on it as well. Um, like we talked about earlier. So um, that one's going to be 43%. All right. Well, we're going to take another quick break and then we'll be back with Chris Kerr. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was etched onto clay tablets, carved into stone, inscribed on break? parchment, forged into type, converted to bytes and bits and pixels. However the Word enters your consciousness, join us Tuesdays 4 to 6 for Bookmarked, all about books and reading in San Marcos and the world. All right. The opinions expressed on this program are solely those of your host or of my guest and do not reflect those of KZSM Community Radio or its governing body, SMTXCRA. Um, that's our little thing that we have to read. <laughs> so, yeah. The, oh, the opinions you hear are mine own and Chris's own. Um, so getting, getting back to it. So a lot of young people are, are graduating now and have been for the past, you know, several years, um, which is ginormous student debt. Do you feel that um, this is preventing young people from buying homes? Potentially, yes, because, the, you know, there, there's, I am seeing an increase in student yeah. debt as, uh, you know, as I run credit and see that. And while many times they're on deferment or they're not being paid at this point in time, or even on an income basis, right, an income-derived mm -hmm. payment, there are requirements that we have to follow, um, guidance from Fannie and Freddie, who are the governing bodies, that say we still have to assign a payment to that um, student loan. And so there's definitely times we see 
that that can be a problem where you've got a seven, eight, nine hundred dollar a month payment on a you know seventy to a hundred thousand dollar loan, and so you're right. That is something that that is that we have seen uh, and continue to see increase. Yes, ma'am. So if somebody is on um, one of these income based repayment um, plans, would their payment amount that you assign them would it be the actual payment amount or is it different? No, it's actually different. So it's going to be in most products, it's going to be one percent of the balance gotcha. is what we have to assign for the monthly. So on a hundred thousand dollar student loan, it's a thousand dollars a month. Wow, and so there are yes, people that have a hundred thousand dollars in student loans. Yes, there I'm are. glad I'm not yes, one of them. <laughs> My, mine's Me mine's still well. in the car payment territory. <laughs> that that is manageable for sure so i mean student debt that's that's one of the things that we're dealing with and um i i know that debt to income ratios have gone up a little bit since i first went into real estate yeah that is right it seems like the fha and va requirements went up a little bit like right as i was getting into it so uh, there it's Mm -hmm. you know it's it's like they're trying to to give a little bit of help um to these young people who are graduating with just ginormous debt, medical debt. That's another thing. How, how can that affect my ability to get a mortgage? Let's say if, you know, I had a, had an emergency, um, got handed this huge $10,000 bill that my insurance is going to pay, isn't going to pay. Um, what is that going to do? So depending upon product type, depends upon if that's already in collections as a, as a collectible debt, there are many times we don't have to charge that payment against the debt to income ratio. Now it may still affect your credit score, right? Because it's a collection account. However, we do not have to charge it towards the debt to income ratio. And so it doesn't increase that DTI to a level that you can't qualify, but it's very, it's dependent upon the amount and then the product type as well. So, um, Things like charge-offs as well. So if you had an old okay. debt that was charged off years ago, that in, let's say, an FHA loan, we don't charge that against you in that. Now, it is affecting your credit score, but we don't necessarily have to charge it against you on the debt-to-income ratio. How long does that stuff generally stay on your credit report and affect your credit score? Seven years Seven is years. the norm. Um, yes, ma'am. And the further you get away from it, the better your score gets. So. You know, what we don't want to do is have negative credit and then not have any credit because then you're just, you just have that negative credit. And so the key is if something happens like that is to continue like we discussed in the beginning, which is have that credit card, don't run up the large debt, $30 a month, pay it off, keep using credit. And so what that does is helps you recover faster than if you have the collection and then you don't use any debt for a while. So that actually hurts you more. Um, so th- those are two hurdles that, you know, I run into all the time. What What are some other hurdles to home ownership that you come across often? Um, I mean, the big ones that we see, obviously, are the down payments, which we talked about earlier. Um, but even um, somebody who has changed multiple jobs, right? And it's not oh, that's a, good a hurdle. The, the difference is... If somebody is in a retail position today 
and they change to another company in a retail position tomorrow, and you know, hopefully they're, they're making a move for advanced opportunities, income for the right reasons. That's not a bad thing necessarily because they're staying in the same line of work. Now, if somebody is a salary W-2 employee today, and then they decide to go into a career field that is, say, commission only, that's going to be a challenge because commission only is, is looked at as a self-employed income. And under normal circumstances, there's always variables to this or exceptions, but self-employed, you've got to be in that position two years with two years of tax returns before we can use that income. So that's something, while you may be making a lot more money in your new commission position, we can't use that income yet. So that, we see a lot of those items. Another one from an income standpoint is overtime or bonus. Somebody works, they've got a new job, they're making overtime. If they haven't, income works, we've gotta be able to go back and prove you've made it for the last two years and that you're expected to continue to receive it. That's the key on income. So while the total income may be very good with the overtime, we may not be able to use all that income to qualify. And so that can put a hindrance on qualification or maybe qualification at the price point that somebody may want to be at. What about retirees? Um, Can they get a home loan if you don't have income? Well, you mean if they're not working yeah, uh, I, I, an active yeah. job? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so, yeah, so most retirees do have some sort of income that we see. Uh, and you bet, as long as we can prove that they've been getting it for the last two years, well, or that they've had income, right? But even if they've just started on Social Security and they've uh, received that first payment and we expect that to continue, you bet well, we can look at those pieces individually and once again we look at the gross amounts of income compared to their debt on their credit report and if we can keep that dti below whatever that max is and get them in the home that they're looking to purchase for retirement you bet they definitely can you don't have to be in a position or employment there's also ways to use income from an asset you know now this isn't typically your first time home buyer but somebody's got retirement income Uh, and retirement assets that they've accumulated over their career working, we can actually use those assets to determine income. And so there's multiple ways that we can find solutions to, um, to do and help to build that income. I pretty much run out of questions. Chris, can, can you think of anything else? Um, that is, a beneficial to to know going into the process first-time home buyer you bet and something that i talk to all my first-time home buyers about is the overall process of how it looks and we've talked about multiple pieces of it but let me give a high level overall of the process so that people know what to expect from both you and i in and how that process moves and so like we talked about, Selena is your first stop to visit with about um, wanting to purchase a home. That next step is where we run through pre-qualification, which is where I gather credit information, income, assets, what those different puzzle pieces, what your budget looks like, and put that picture together. 
once we've got that picture put together for you, then I visit with Selena as well. And then you two, you the buyer and Selena, get back together to start looking at properties. And she has the ability as the realtor to help you with homes that are on the market that come to the market as soon as they are listed, that she can set you up and have that information sent to you automatically on a daily basis. And so as you're looking through those homes and you find the home you like, at that point, Selena is going to be the one to help you negotiate the contract or the purchase price. Do we need those seller concessions uh, or not? Um, home warranties. There's several pieces that come in. But once you're under contract, there's, a, there's three items that are going to be in the first three days normally. One is, is what's called earnest money. Earnest okay. money is typically 1% of the purchase price, right? So if you're buying a $200,000 home, you write a $2,000 check. It's earnest money, but think of it similar to a deposit. It does go to the title company. The title company does cash it. When we close at the end, we give you that $2,000 that you prepaid up front as credit towards your cash to close on the loan. The second item is an option period, right? Super yes. important, Selena. Super is the option important. period. I mean, you want to talk about option period and what that's important with that in the inspection? Option period is great. Um, it is a, a period of time you're pretty much paying the seller to keep the home off the market. So you're you're under contracted and negotiated a sales price, but let's say you've bought seven days for $100. You have seven days to get your inspections in, um, to get any contractors in, um, and you can pretty much walk away for any or no reason at all. Um, you just get cold feet, just don't like a house. I've had people walk away because they found a house that they liked better the day that that option period ends. Um, pretty much any any reason. Um, but yeah, once we're out of option, um, there's, there's really not too much we can do um, unless it doesn't appraise. Chris, what, what, what happens after option on your end? That's what correct. That so happen? while you're going through that option period, we are updating any documents that we need, income statements, bank statements, uh, anything that we did not get before you went under contract. And so we're gathering those documents, and I'm going to send that to my processor. She sits in my office with me. She takes all the documents, and she puts it all together so that it can go to underwriting. In addition, we've also ordered an appraisal which is where a third party goes out, does a home appraisal of value on the home, um, and then sends us that report to make sure that the value that you're, the, the price that's being paid for the home fits the market, right? And there's, you know, it can come in high, it can come in low, it can come in right out, and each of those have some different results at the end. So, um, but we send it, my processor, um, she then takes it, sends it to underwriting. The underwriters, go through the file and make sure it fits from a regulatory standpoint and sends it back to us normally what's called conditionally approved. They're like, hey, we really like the loan overall. We like the income, but I've got a question on this address or I've got a question on this large deposit, right? Where did all that money come from? Or I've got a question on something on the credit report, right? And so we work on getting those items updated. We send it back to uh, underwriting and then underwriting goes through it again, make sure all the conditions are approved. 
And then they send it back what's called clear to close, which Yay. is realtor's favorite <laughs> words. No, closed so, and funded are my favorite <laughs> words. <laughs> oh, that's true. That's true. So I love to call clear to close because what clear to close means is that all the requirements have been met of the loan. And so now we can. Oh, oh we just dropped the call. <laughs> A minute left to go and the call drops. Well, my last question for Chris was going to be, how long does this process usually take? And um, I'll go ahead and answer for him. I know that he can do it in 30 days. Um, so um, 35 days is usually what I ask for in the contract. But the, the process can take uh, can take 30 days. I have seen it faster, but we, we don't like to pressure our lenders too much. Um, so... This concludes our <laughs> this this concludes our debut episode of Real Estate 101. I am your host, Selena Henderson, Realtor, Coldwell Banker Deanne Harper Realtors. Um, I'm here at the San Marcos office. We're located um, on Stagecoach, over kind of by the courthouse. My number, if you would like to call, ask me any questions, um, 512-629-9081. Call me anytime, text, um, and thank, thank you so much for listening. Um, hope, hope to have you back next week um, for our second episode. <laughs> and we're out. Seem to give me another try